Welcome back to season two of the Run Culture Podcast. My name is Dane Verway. I'm an experienced running physiotherapist, coach, and marathoner. This season will involve open discussions with my running colleagues about the key principles behind injury-free running and optimal performance. It'll be backed by personal experience, science, and history. I can only hope some of these chats inspire curiosity and expand or confirm perspectives and beliefs amongst the running community. Anyway, I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back, everyone, to episode three of season two of the Run Culture podcast. I'm back chatting with Caden Shields from New Zealand, physio extraordinaire and 215 marathoner today on the show. Today, we talk about what is running IQ. Now, you might all be scratching your head, what is running IQ? Running IQ is a new term that I have coined to reflect the accuracy of one's decision-making ability in relation to the sport of running. So when we're making decisions, we're making decisions about injury, what training to do all the time. I feel not enough has been said or done about the all too common, emotionally charged, sometimes naive, sometimes flawed decision-making process amongst us uber keen distance runners and often sometimes too keen. A runner with a high running IQ, however, is dialed in to their own individual running needs. They more often than not make true, factual, real and helpful training and racing decisions given their circumstances. High running IQ is a learned skill. It comes easier to some than others, but it is certainly something that we can all improve over time. In this podcast, I chat about the recipe to developing your running IQ with Caden, and we talk about some key things that everyone should be aware of if they want to start improving their running IQ and making more accurate decisions um, about what to do with their injuries and what to do with training. All right, I hope you enjoy the show. That's enough from me. Uh, If you want to reach out and chat more about this topic, I'm available. Uh, Yeah, my email's um, everywhere uh, on my website and uh, otherwise just reach out to me on social media whether it's facebook or instagram Uh, otherwise reach out to caden as well Uh, really enjoying doing these shows hope you are enjoying listening to them any feedback would be appreciated without further ado here it is brief interlude from the show guys before I get back to it if you have any running injuries or running questions training indecisions and you want to book an online or in-person physiotherapy appointment with myself Dane Verway go to www.runculture.org while there you can also find a link to my online strength and conditioning community where you'll join an exclusive members only Facebook group and gain access to over 220 minute running specific mobility Pilates or strengthening routines Anyway, enough from me, let's get back to the show. 
I've written out like um, what I sort of wanted to talk about today. Thanks for like um, being keen to do it. Um, yeah, I reckon no the last one turned out really well. Um, so I've done two now, one with you, one with Brent Layla, a guy I coach. He's a physio down in Geelong. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, and we talked about um, kind of like, what did we talk? Well, more self-awareness um, and pat- pattern recognition, really. So like trying to, trying to, um, like trying to work out how to, how to recognize patterns. So sort of like it, it actually um, went really well with the complex systems one. So like in terms of not saying that there's a lot of factors um, involved um, and then like trying to work out whether you're recognizing the patterns correctly or whether um, you're going down, you know, rabbit holes that just are totally unrelated and they're sort of false positives or false negatives. Um, and, and then this one, I, I was thinking of talking about the idea of running uh, um, IQ. So it's yeah. kind of like when you hear like a, so I want to talk about like, um, it's like when you hear a commentator and when you're watching the football and they're like, oh, this guy's got good running uh, footy smarts or because uh, yeah. he just knows where to kick it or he knows what to do in the heat of the moment. Uh, he keeps calm under pressure. Um, and, and it always, they always seem to make like a pretty calculated decision in the, in the heat of the moment. Um, yep. and some runners I reckon are better at doing that than others. Um, and it, and I guess like it is a concept that like, I reckon you can train over time and get better at over time with experience, but I just wanted to go over that. And then the idea of, um, how some runners are a bit more closed-minded and others are more open-minded. And I think that feeds in well and, and the idea of coachability. So some runners, you feel like, like some runners, you're like, oh, gee, they're uncoachable. Like, um, and yeah, like, well, then eventually they probably, you know, can become coachable with the right, you know, mentorship. But at times they're just a bit closed off um, for one reason or another. And then the idea of, um, I've written down here, Oh, the idea of like a good supportive group around you of diverse thinkers, but like that challenge you and, and you sort of like seeking, you're all seeking like accurate answers, but you can sort of, um, tell each other, um, and you're honest with each other, whether you feel like, oh, you you know, I don't think, I think, you know, that might be, you know, something that you need to work on and, and you take that on board and, um, like having a supportive group and then the idea of, um, ownership and critical thinking so the idea of ownership is like you need to have a sense of ownership with your running like you need to be invested in your running to because then if you're invested then you're actually going to stay in it for the cause like you're going to work harder uh be more likely to be persistent and patient over time uh you have greater focus and then um you're less likely to give up and uh and you kind of need that to get through the learnings that you need as a runner. But then I think if you only have like that sense of ownership with running and you just become too attached with the idea of being a runner and a runner alone, like, and don't have that idea of critical thinking, like, um, then that can be a dangerous trap too. So like, it's, I don't know. I just came up with like those kind of ideas. Yep. I'm not sure that's too much, but I feel like they sort of relate to each other. Um, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah um yeah have you sort of like what what are, what are your thoughts on like when i like raise a topic and uh yeah no yeah. it's good i think yeah. um 
I reckon there's two elements to it, eh? Yeah. Like, there's the emotional side of running, and then there's the analytical side of running. Yep. And uh, they often there's a bit of a, a power play between the two of them. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, I think if I look back at myself as a runner, I've, I've certainly learned from making mistakes. Um, you know, a lot, a lot of mistakes. But then again, you know, I don't think I would have got to the level that I have got to without those mistakes. So yeah. I think in the, in the moment, you can sort of look at those mistakes and be quite emotionally upset by them. But if you don't see them as learning opportunities, then um, it's hard to progress forward from them. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, and the athletes that struggle, I think, to deal with those difficult moments are the ones that don't actually progress. Um, or they end up falling away from the sport because the emotion of the, dis- or the disappointment or is overwhelming for them. Yeah. Um, you know, I think about the hundreds of people that were better than me in New Zealand um, growing up. You know, I think I was, well, not hundreds, but, you know, my best placing, I think, in National Secondary School Cross Country was 11th in Year 12, which is... Um, second to last year of high school and then you know there was, there was plenty of guys that were better than me um yeah. but i think i just learned learned from my mistakes yeah. and then i had some pretty hard learning curves as well like my time in the states was pretty brutal and could have could i could have easily left the sport at that point but my but then my emotion for the sport kept me going so my love for the sport kept me going so um i think it is a power play well a bit of a playoff between trade-off between the two away yeah. 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 Um, no, definitely. Particularly around decision making. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Like I think. Um, uh, well, once again, do you reckon we keep this in the podcast, or we just start start a? Yeah, we just roll. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. Good. Um, with, um, I was thinking on on my run this morning about it, and I think uh, sometimes it's quite comforting um, to feel like you know why something happens and especially if you're new in the sport and like you've got a limited sort of um, experience in running um, or the groups that you hang around with runners think one way and one way in particular like that might be your only sort of um, experience and perspective um, on how things work and I think when someone challenges that idea you can be pretty close to it and not not um receptive to challenge that idea because it's quite it makes you uncomfortable um and it Mm. makes you feel like oh no i don't know what's going on um i feel like you know i've worked out you know some kind of association or or the answer to why i'm going better um i don't i don't you know i don't i don't want to challenge that like and and you can sort of um become a bit like you don't sort of you're not suddenly trying to push yourself to grow and um uh, seek sort of more accurate answers um i think like i i reckon i've se- seen that a little bit not just necessarily with new runners but even with like really uh, runners that have done it for a while and they just sort of um uh get stuck in this one way of thinking um uh you know and whether that's um because the group around them thinks that way and that's just and then it becomes like this hard firm truth that that's how you have to train um like I was talking to a few of the guys in my group 
Um, and one, one guy's coming back from an injury and he's like, oh, Dane, do we always have to do a 20-minute warm-up and a 20-minute warm-down? Is there some science behind that? And I was like, no, we just do it to try to get a bit more mileage in the week. Um, but for you, I don't think it's um, the right call. I agree. Like, let's change that. So, yeah, it's, um, yeah, I, th I think it's, it's that. But then there's also um, the idea of um, we can, um, in, like, uh, our identity can get sort of emotionally invested in our, um, our running and, and then suddenly that can cloud our, cloud our um, decision-making and, and judgment too um uh and uh yeah because of that emotional attachment we suddenly make sort of not not the most sound or or savvy rational decisions um uh because we just want to keep running or um yeah we, we yeah so that can sort of cloud the decisions that we make too so it's sort of yeah definitely i think it's a, an idea of like like how much sort of knowledge and, and your experiences like a collation of that and then also, um, yeah, how, how emotionally attached you get to, to your idea of running and, and, and how good you are at sort of distancing yourself from, from that and taking a step back and, and looking at it um, f from a third person perspective. Yeah, for but, sure. Yeah. I mean, I've got heaps to talk about with this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, a lot of it I'm drawing on my own experiences, but, yeah. you know, I think a lot of it probably from where you started, just talking about being stuck in a way of training or thinking that um, it's the only way that you can progress or as a reason for your progression, I think that comes down to confirmation bias, right? Like yeah. similar to when we talked about complex systems, like it's easy to, to say that there's one reason why you're running better yeah um and and that's quite hard to actually be objective about that um you know i even catch myself these days still falling into situations where i'm quite resistant to change in training and like my training i did leading up to doha for example i carried on that sort of cycle of training for most of last year and then leading up to the race in penrith that we both ran in, in april and actually, I, had, I finished that race and I was like, man, I just don't think I can keep training like that anymore. Like, it was just got to a point where I'd lost enthusiasm for it and it felt like a process, something just I had to get done rather than something that I was actually enjoying. Um, and it just seemed too hard. And, and so, thankfully, I've got a very innovative coach who probably sensed that as well and after discussions following the race and he's mixed my training up quite a bit this year. Chris is one coach who is really good at, at not being stuck in his ways um, and being really innovative and always trying different things. And I've had to be quite, it's taken me a lot of courage to be open to new ideas because the way I was doing things got me to the highest level in the sport that I'd never achieved. So I was, and also a really great result. So um, for me to then sort of step back and go, okay, well, if I want to even go to another level, you know, to run, say, another World Champs qualifier or an Olympic qualifier, I've actually got to do things differently. Yeah. And um, and that's actually helped, this helped a lot. So, yeah, I think it's a, something that we struggle with the whole way through our career. But you probably, get, I think we get better. If you have, I think it's always about having a beginner's mindset. Um, it's something that um, Dr. Kerry Evans, who I worked with quite closely talks about having a beginner's mindset as soon as you've got an ex expert mind um, or an expert mindset you're not willing to learn so 
it's acting like you know everything already, whereas no one does. <laughs> um, and so it's just having this open mind the whole time. Um, but, you know, if I think back to growing up in New Zealand, being a Lydiard man, like, you know, I read Lydiard's books from a young age and um, I was so firm in my beliefs. And if anyone challenged them, I was, you know, I'd, I'd go down fighting for Lydiard when I was a teenager. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, uh, and, <laughs> and but in a sense that that got me unstuck at times like I was really reluctant to take time to recover um when I was and, and that's not necessarily a lead thing but I was a real real bad at training through everything when I was younger sorry yep, yep. um and uh so there was a time in the states where I actually trained through an um, chronic bronchitis. I had this terrible lung infection in 2009 and I had it for about a month before I actually went to see a doctor about it and I was running about 100 miles a week on it in sessions and it got to the point where I was like vomiting um, on my morning run just because of how much um, mucus and stuff I had in my chest and then coughing throughout most of the day and then um, and then training again in the afternoon. So I was, I was acutely unwell but my stubbornness to not, you know, I felt as I needed to keep training, my stubbornness to, to not stop or not listen to my body um, kept me going, but it really significantly impacted my health. So fortunately enough, I made the NCAA cross-country champs that following December. So it was, I managed to bounce back from it, but, um, you know, I think that it was almost neglect. Um, whereas, you know, I wouldn't, wouldn't do that to my, my body now, but... <laughs> Um, I've certainly been one that's had to learn to, to pull back and I'm still learning that at times. Um, I still have a tendency to, to push too hard at times. So, um, yeah, I think it's certainly something that, um, evolves throughout your career and you have to certainly be, be open to, to change. And sometimes it's harder than others. I think when your prefrontal cortex isn't as well developed in your, <laughs> your early teens and your early twenties, it's harder. But by the time I was 25, I was starting to, um, get the picture, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, well that, like, I, I love listening to that, Caden, cause like it, it really is like that journey that you've gone on and it's like, um, a lot of runners, like you just sort of, um, you, you mature over time, especially if you're, um, like you said, like a good listener and then open to hearing heaps of different opinions and um, and uh, open-minded um, over time and and you and you're open to like challenging your beliefs and and trying different things um, then you're more likely to stumble like not everything's gonna work and you're gonna be wrong at times and things are gonna fail but then you're more likely to gradually feel like you've got a, a greater understanding of the, the broader picture and the bigger picture. And, um, uh, yeah, I think like what you said about, um, you know, being like the biggest Lydia disciple going around like that, like I, I've been prone to like ways of thinking like that, even like in recent years with like the Canova kind of approach and like, you know, training specifically for a marathon, like, um, like so much so that this year, um, like I, I was, I was trying to train for Penrith, but I think I, um, I wasn't listening to my body enough. Like I was just like, oh no, this has worked in the past. I'm just going to keep carrying on because last time it worked or the time before that it worked, I'll just keep doing it. And so much so that like I probably ignored some signs and 
um, or fatigue and, and overtraining um, on the lead up to Penrith and, and then even after Penrith um, and, and what haven't really totally understood that I was in such a fatigue state. I was so blinded to it that it wasn't until recently after quarantine where I feel so fresh now that um, I was like, oh, geez, I really was just because I was, you know, training myself and I didn't have someone like a Chris Pallone to like bounce ideas off and, and, and uh, keep me sort of accountable and be a bit more honest and um, uh, with what was going around, going on, um, yeah, fell into a trap. Um, and and uh, but have learnt now, like um, because quarantine sort of forced me to take it pretty easy. And um, and now with how I feel, I can sort of really see um, when I reflect that um, I was overtraining. So, but it. But it's funny how a love of like training or like previous successes with a certain training approach um, and training really hard in a fair bit of fatigue, um, doing sort of Canova kind of training or sort of that specific marathon training um, and, and having it worked in the past kind of blind, blinded me to the idea of like, oh, I'll be right, I'll bounce, you know, I'll come good um, and sort of just kept just, you know, bashing myself even though for weeks on end I was really tired and there was no no signs that I was bouncing back um so yeah I think the that idea where we can really have that um I think there's a, a few other biases like you, you mentioned confirmation bias um where like we can just like once we sort of believe in a certain way we just sort of we keep sort of like because we're passionate about that belief we um it's easy to find stuff that confirms that and and um, mm. supports that um, way of thinking, and we talk to people that um, also have that belief because we we like um, the idea that other people think that way. It makes us feel um, yeah better. <laughs> um, but then like also, um, I've got like this other bi bias that I sort of penciled down here, like the halo effect um, or authoritative sort of bias, where like you might look at someone that you really respect um, or that was really big in, and prominent in the running world um, hi historically and, and, uh, and take like all, all their, their concepts and principles um, uh, as the only way um, and, uh, and feel like um, they can't do any wrong and, and they apply to absolutely everyone in every situation and every context. Um, and uh, yeah, I think, um, you know, I think, you know, there's never going to be a one size fits all when it comes to some principles, there's going to be a little bit of something here and there. And you've got to take from little bits from people, you know, um, all around you, and there's going to be stuff that applies to you and stuff that doesn't. Um, and so like, I think that that bias is really, really good to be aware of. Um, uh, when it comes to trying to sharpen your your running iq and and think about things um rationally and and just being aware that if you're falling trapped to that mm. yeah for sure i think you know the other thing um in terms of running iq that's quite important is sort of that inability to internally regulate regulate loads which is something that like it's very nuanced like it's something i still think I don't think you can get it right 100% of the time. You know, there's a lot of things that, you know, you don't want to get hung up on how you're feeling all the time, right? Like when you're in a big training block, you're going to you're gonna feel tired. But I think there's certain 
and, and you do want to, you know, when you're doing marathon training, for example, you, you want to be putting yourself under pressure or making yourself uncomfortable. But I think it's, there's certain things I think that I've sort of become aware of, I think, that influence how you make better decisions. I, I find reflecting on my moods quite a good a good way to know if I'm overtraining or not. So I find if I'm overtraining, and, and I've noticed this in particularly in my build-up to Penrith, my, I was just quite short with particularly Rachel. <laughs> <laughs> so you sort of, you find your, toler- your general tolerance is lower for various things. Like I might get out of bed in the morning and not have the motivation to make my lunch for the day, for example. Like you struggle to do basic tasks, um, which is quite different to sort of the feeling that you might have around just the anticipation leading up to a, a big workout or, or um, you know, a big long run, which, you know, you can get the, the normal nerves and anxiety prior to those types of sessions, which you may interpret as not feeling good, but it doesn't necessarily mean that you're, that's a, a, an overtraining symptom. So I've struggled, I think, throughout my career to internally regulate at times being able to differentiate between those things. Um, and particularly in my mid-20s after I did go through that period of being really, really unwell and overtraining and quite significant injuries to femoral stress fractures and um, quite bad periods of performance where I sort of lost my ability to internally regulate. I lost my ability to um, make really clear decisions. One, because of the, I think, the emotional stress of what I've been through. Um, and then two, I didn't really see it, didn't really have a pathway to get myself out of it. Yep. And um, that took probably three or four years, really until I started working with Chris Pallone for a couple of years to, to get myself out of that. Um, and then just better education as well with becoming a physio. But um, yeah, even to this day, I think, you know, Chris and I were talking about it last week and he said to me, oh, Caden, like when you, sometimes you don't know you've gone too far until you're over the edge. And he's like, it, it'll creep up on you and creep up on you and you can tolerate it. And then all of a sudden you can't. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I think, I think about my severe injuries, that's how it's been. You know, I've never had any warning signs with my stress fractures. It's been one minute I can run, the next minute I can't. Whereas you might get the, the individual that's had some pain for a couple of weeks and, and then they get stress fractures. So I think I can tolerate quite a lot of discomfort until the point that that is overwhelming. Whereas, um, and so it's been hard at times, I think, for my, me personally to internally regulate loads. Um, heart, using heart rate based training has been a good way of doing that um, within a training session so I can control my efforts. Because I think, you know, having objective data, obviously, whilst your training is really, really important, so you can say, well, actually, even though I feel really good today, this is still the right training zone for me to be in. Yeah. Or if I'm feeling a bit under the weather, um, then as long as I just train within the zone, just get the job done, I'm, I'm doing the right thing. Yeah. Um, and often I've removed a lot of ob- other objectivity, probably more outcome-based objectivity from my training. So I don't look at, generally don't use GPS and... Um, pace? Pace, yeah. So I'm, I just generally ignore that. Sometimes I will just to see where I'm at, but 
I get definitely on my easy recovery runs. I don't turn my GPS on. Um, and I was doing it for my long runs for a long time, but I found myself getting a bit too concerned about pace. So I've stopped that again um, and just using heart rate. So um, I find removing outcome in training generally and focusing more on processes has been effective for me to internally regulate loads. Yeah. yeah, nice, nice. I was just like mm. got up on my phone because um, just um, when I was at the Paralympics with the athletics team, um, a few of the athletes um, in their uh, clinical notes, um, there's this thing called the short recovery scale and the short stress scale. And um, it's pretty interesting. I mean, it's pretty, it's it's basic stuff, and it, but it, it actually like, sort of confirms sort of what you're sort of saying there, Caden, in terms of like, it's just um, all these measures in terms of, um, uh, you've got to rate yourself out of six in terms of how powerful and energetic you're feeling. Um, and, and the athletes would do this once every seven days. So, you know, are you feeling strong and energetic and full of power? Or are you feeling exhausted, fatigued, sore and stiff? So you'd rate yourself out of, out of those two categories. Um, how mentally, um, uh, how are you mentally? So how attentive, receptive, how, how, much, how, can you, uh, how alert are you and are, can you concentrate uh, versus um, are you unmotivated, sluggish, unenthusiastic about training and lacking energy? Um, emotional balance, so how pleased, stable and how much of a good mood you're in? Um, do you feel like you have everything under control um, versus are you feeling down, stressed, annoyed and short-tempered? Um, and then you rate yourself um, from an overall overall recovery and an overall stress point of view. And, and you get like a bit of a, it's not so much, it's just the process of doing it, I think, once every seven days. And then maybe it makes you more cognizant of um, some areas. Because like often we're tired, but we're not really reflecting on it. We're just pushing forward and, and, and going, oh, that's part of training. But it might actually mm -hmm. sort of make you go, oh, okay, you know, th that's happening here and there. Like maybe I do need to um, take a few easier days or change training and talk to my coach, um, talk to whoever's helping me with my um, training decisions and, and talk it through. And, and maybe I haven't, maybe work's a real stressful time or I haven't been sleeping too well um, lately. Um, I, I need to, um, yeah. But I think, um, yeah, accounting, like just having, having that um, and, and trying to, yeah, go through those internal loads is a really challenging process. Um, and, and like you said, like, you know, marathon training is hard and distance running training is t hard. There needs to be a little bit of stress, but, um, I like what you said about, you know, when you're short tempered or grumpy or actually just not keen to get out running, even though you like running. Um, I think mm. they're like sure signs that, um, you're a bit in a maladaptive state and, and probably, probably shouldn't be working too hard and, and need to probably be, yeah, you know, focusing on the recovery phase of training rather than the stress uh, pushing phase of training. Um, yeah. yeah, I think enthusiasm is a big one. I like I, I tend to find if my I lose my enthusiasm, then I certainly am a bit more on the other end of the scale in terms of overload. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, most of the time, I have enthusiasm for training. I think. Probably ninety percent of it's quite enthusiastic. Ten percent of it's not. But if that that shifted, then I'd probably recognise that as more of an overtraining yep. state. Um, 
remember again after Doha, like I remember one day sitting on the couch, Chris had sort of said, oh, if you feel like going for a bit of a steady run, you can. I think it was about four weeks afterwards. And I just remember sitting on the couch and all I wanted to do was stay on the couch and drink coffee. <laughs> so I just texted him and I said, I'm not going to do it today. I'm just going, all I feel like doing is sitting on the couch and drinking coffee. Yeah. So it's quite unusual for me. Yeah. Um, so I think, yeah, if you're out of character, it's generally another sign, I think, that, um, that you may be tipping the edge. But, yeah, it's certainly a difficult thing. Uh, I certainly don't think it's easy. And, um, and again, it comes back to the emotional side of it too, I think. Hey? Like, yeah. You just want to keep pushing and keep moving forward. And, um, and you also don't want to be afraid of hard, hard work. So, yeah. Yeah, it's a it's a real fine line, and I think one that's always. I don't. Yeah, I don't think you can get it right all the time. What did Chris say when when you said, oh, "I just want to sit on the couch"? Like, what was his sort of? Uh... Oh, I think he said, "Yeah, good option." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. I really struggled after after that race actually to to get the enthusiasm for training back. I think because there was quite a bit of time pressure after Doha to try and qualify for the Olympics. Yeah, I got back mid-October and then 2019 and then I had a month just chilling and then had to get back into training and racing over the track season in New Zealand. I was carrying a couple of niggles, had a foot injury and an Achilles tendon niggle. So getting, you know, trying to race New Zealand track season to then get ready for a, a full marathon in, at Rotterdam. It was almost a relief when COVID had actually, you know, had to take some downtime. But, um, yeah, that, that, that was certainly difficult. Yeah. But, yeah, I think, I think that's weird. Like, internally, I was probably a bit stressed. Um, just come off the biggest race of my life and then had to, you know, a sort of the idea of the Olympics had never really been a possibility for me. So then to have that as an option, it was quite a shift in mindset. But then there was also a significant amount of time pressure to try and get a qualifying time. And COVID took care of that for me. So. <laughs> <laughs> And a, and a couple of bridges in Penrith. Yeah. <laughs> and you said last week um, that you've been doing sort of more 20-minute workouts. Is that, um, you know, is that because you needed that change change in training or, like, what, what was the basis behind that? I'm not 100% sure. Yeah. I haven't actually sat down and asked Chris why. Yeah. Um, we've trialled it, the whole group trialled it through the winter, and it worked really well. Like Ollie Chignall won the national cross country. Matt Taylor got second, who's coached by Pallone, and then I was fourth. Um, and then we had another guy, um, Tom Mulai. I think he was sixth or seventh. So Pallone actually won the team's race at the national cross country champs with his his athletes. Um, we just about got the one, two, three, but I wasn't quite good enough on the day to get the bronze. Yeah. <laughs> and I ran on the same course. I ran 40 seconds quicker than I had the year before. Um, when Sam Tanner won the race in worse conditions. So, um, so I'd improved quite a lot. And then, yeah, two weeks ago, three weeks ago, I ran a split 30 flat in a relay on my own um, over a 10.8k lead in the Takahita Akira relay. So, again, that was quite a big um, improvement for me. I mean, obviously, it was G the, the split was on GPS. It was a dead straight road, so... It was fairly accurate, but um, 
So it seems to be working quite well for me. But one thing I think is probably good about it is quite focused. So when you do the session, you know, you're really focusing on getting the session done well. So there's a high quality to the session in the sense that, you know, the preparation is quite good and the focus whilst I'm doing the session is quite good. And then um, I'm able to do two sessions a week in a specific phase, which I normally wouldn't do during a marathon block. I'd do a Wednesday and then a, a Wednesday session and then a Saturday long run and then just jogging around it. So to be able to do two sessions a week is quite different for me. And then I'm finding I can bounce back from the, the session quite well. But then it's also working on a lot of my weaknesses. So like uh, we've been doing 30-second hill sprints once a week. Uh, not once a week, sorry, but in part of, part of the session, we're sort of alternating between 14, 30-second hills, 20-minute up tempo, and then a session of, say, three by one mile um, at threshold. And generally in a normal marathon build-up, I wouldn't do a lot of specific threshold work, probably just do sub-threshold. So I think I quite I, I do respond quite well to short bouts of threshold work. So um, the three by five minutes works quite well. And then if I'm, say, going into the 10K or the, the relay, I did one mile at threshold and then I did two miles at um, critical velocity, essentially 10K race pace. And that brought me up quite well. And I sort of reflect on when I was running quite good track times in the States and good cross-country, our sessions actually weren't much longer than 20 minutes. So we sort of do either a 20-minute threshold with some strides or which probably wasn't a threshold back then. But um, And then... You know, we might do, say, 5 by 1K or 6 by 1K on the track. So, or um, 4 by 1 mile. So, the sessions are actually fairly similar to when I was running my, had my best speed. And I'm um, tending to find with this work that my uh, speed endurance is quite good. So, I think that'll translate quite well into the marathon um, when I do go back into block, just because I've been able to improve my efficiency at those higher speeds. And essentially that's the limiting factor now for my marathon performance is that, you know, do we have to go to an, another championship? I need to run under 2.11.30. So, you know, that's 3.07 per K, whereas probably the best I've gotten down to is about 3.09, 3.10 per K um, yeah. in terms of my heart rate training and stuff, um, in terms of my marathon production. So, um, so I'm tending to find, you know, if I can get my anaerobic threshold pace down to low three minutes, whether it's 301, 302 per K, then it's much easier for me to run 307s. Yeah. Yeah. And then tending to find mechanically with the hill sprints in the shorter sessions, I can focus on the mechanics of my running quite well rather than sort of, I think sometimes with those longer like steady state runs and stuff, you're just thinking about the distance that you've got to get here yeah. and the time. Yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. <laughs> um, whereas with 20 minutes, you don't actually have a lot of time and so you're trying to make the most of the session, um, focusing on how you're moving and your efficiency. And because it's quite short, you can really, and one thing I like to play with is, okay, well, while I'm at this speed, how can I work on my relaxation? How can I work on my power output while I'm running at this heart rate, for example? And does that have an effect on my speed? Yeah. If I am, if I am measuring speed. Um, so yeah, it seems to work quite well. So I've got New Zealand 10K champs on the track in three weeks. So time, you know, with the conditions are good. It'd be interesting to see how well I can go. Yeah, that's so good. Like hearing like the thought process behind it all, um, and like how you're using your experience in America when you were, you know, running well and and 
doing the shorter stuff and then now that it's been a few years since you've I guess like you know it's been a couple of years where you really focus on the marathon and the marathon specific work and or just just mixing it up a little bit makes makes a lot of sense um uh because yeah it's been just even just from a personal perspective um from my where I'm at with running as well um like we've just been 36 weeks pregnant like life's going to change a little bit in a, in you know, over the next short period so a lot of people are like oh what marathon are you going to do next because that's just what I've done the last five or six years just gone from marathon to marathon and it's kind of like it almost becomes this just expectation that's just what you do and it's a routine and it's almost just yeah I guess like I like doing it um but at the same time uh I think we can sort of fall traps of just going from a full trap to like marathon to marathon marathon to marathon and uh yeah i'm actually really cherishing like this time to do train like with less volume and less um uh less volume than i've done the last four or five years and and train yeah a bit more quality and um train as a like a bit of a training hack with the guys i coach and just help them with a lot of their speed work they're more 5k 10k 10k kind of guys and yeah, really looking forward to that because I'll have um, more time at home um, with the um, newborn on the way. But then also, I'll um, won't be as depleted, and it'll be interesting to see. Um, I mean, that four, five, six years of marathon training that won't just go away, and I'll, I'll still be very much running. It's just a different type of running, and it'll be interesting to to do six months of that, and um, it just makes sense from a life holistic life point of view, but. But also, um, also, I'm excited about it, um, and I think like my excitement for doing the same type of like grinding training during this phase of life probably wasn't there. So, yeah, I, I think it's following that enthusiasm once again, sort of like you said. But then also being prepared to do something different and break that that um, that habit and that routine and um, and uh, go about it a different way and um, uh, yeah, revisit it you know, a different type of training. Um, but yeah, I, I wanted to like ask you, um, Caden, about when you um, uh, are treating someone where that you feel like they're, like I don't really like the term like uncoachable because I think everyone's got an element where they do listen and they, but they're probably like, there's, there's a continuum. Um, when you have a patient that would probably fall under the banner of being like harder to coach than the next person, like, what like for, what are some of the um, consistencies that you see with those patients or or those runners um, where it's really hard to get through to them um, and and then maybe with someone that is a bit more coachable and easier to work with um, what are some characteristics that they have? Yeah, certainly think a lot of it comes down to the why yep. people do things, eh? So yep. like certainly. You do get the odd client patient or patient who um, is harder to hold back than others. Um, and generally when I notice that behavior, I'll just ask why. And um, it's always, it opens up a fairly interesting conversation because everybody runs for various reasons, but a lot of people run for emotional regulation or um, yeah, management of stress. So generally, 
that'll be um, a big part of the why. And so particularly if I have to stop someone running for bone stress or something like that, I try and I have that open discussion pretty early on when I'm advising them not to continue running. So it's okay, it was running, you know, what is running for you? What does it mean for you? And um, obviously for your health, I need to stop you running for now. This is only temporary. Um, but what can we do in the meantime to, to help you manage? And I think that's a really important conversation to have. And then education is the other big part. So I really sit down with people and really explain load management so that people can grasp it. And I usually frame things up in terms of like, I understand that this is what you want to do now, but let's look, you know, do you still want to be running in three months time? And, you know, that's, that often helps as well. Cause you, you acknowledge that it's a difficult time. And I often use my personal experiences then as well, just so that it helps people understand where I'm coming, that I know where they're coming from. You know, I'll talk about my own injuries and, and that type of thing. And then, um, just frame up, look, this is where we are now. If we do any more than that, you know, there's a chance that we could regress, which would make you even more upset. So let's, I know it's difficult, but let's, let's really start trying to take our time with this over the next couple of weeks. And it'll be exponential, you know, we might start with two minute increases in your running volume, but you know, the beauty of time and increased load is that we can make those bigger jumps in two to three weeks time. And usually people are pretty on board with it. Um, so I find if it, it's just really understanding them, getting to know them and then having good education around that and not, um, not passing judgment and trying to really, um, get on their level. And then certainly there's the other, um, side where people are really, really clued up and, um, are really quite educated and have a good general grasp of load management and injury and um that makes your job really really easy yeah because <laughs> uh, you yeah and, and probably you know an individual like that's probably had quite good advice in the past um you know either their parents are, are well educated and um have experienced um things like that themselves and can pass on that knowledge yeah no that was that was good um yeah i yeah, I'll just look at um, some of the boys I coach, and um, and they're all very coachable. Um, uh, and I think that's what drew drew me to them. Like they, they actually they're it's, they're, they're not the like they're talented, but it's not like they're world beaters at the moment. Um, but there's there's something like, and I can't really, I've tried to describe it, but like they've got a genuine love for the sport. Like they're absolutely throff it they they love um learning about it um like they they love um like they're really bought in like they've got that agency that i was talking about at the start so they they um they um yeah they like they're just um invested and uh i think they're also um good at taking advice on board, but then at the same time, they're good at telling me, oh, no, Dane, that's not working. And then we have like a good chat about it and um, uh, trying to be a good coach, like listen um, 
and go, yeah, I, I, I get that too. Like that, that even though I thought that would work, then it, ha it hasn't worked. Uh, let's try to find something else. Um, and so they're good at having, yeah, they're all very good at having that chat. And I think that's been fostered by a group dynamic that, um, yeah, we've tried to create that, like just this openness. I'm sending them a podcast every week um, that sort of pushes their their idea of running. Um, and, you know, sometimes they listen to it, sometimes they don't. Um, but often when they listen to it, I can tell because suddenly they're asking, you know, some more inquiring questions and, um, yeah, their, their um, breadth of um, running knowledge has expanded. Um, and... And I think that's really important. I just um, go, they sometimes ask me, Dane, why aren't we doing this? Or, you know, I read about this, you know, should we do this? And um, and then that pushes me as a coach because then you've got to try to, um, yeah, <laughs> um, challenge yourself and wonder why, why you're not doing that and and uh, and maybe you should be. Um, so, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, the... The, the the runners that I'm coaching, I think that's what I'm drawn about, drawn to them is like, they might not be like the most, um, like, yeah, they're not, they're not like um, national champions at the moment, but they're very, they're very talented. Um, but at the same time, they've got this, um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're developing some good running smarts. And I, and I, I find that really, I don't know, it's really fun to work with because it's, um, yeah, they're definitely, um, you know, guys that are, are very coachable and um, they're they're bought into the process. They're open-minded, but they're and and as much as they're invested, they're also able to um, chat to me and think critically about their their um their their beliefs and and challenge their beliefs. Whether it's um, me sharing my experiences or or they've listened to or read something um, uh, and or heard something and so we we sort of think critically about it and try to get a rational answer about how to go forward um uh, and, and that's not to say there's no biases um i've got biases they've got biases but it's trying to um have that group think where you're um putting everything out there and um and and seeking those accurate answers um so yeah i don't know like i, I that's what i've found with the group that i'm coaching um and i've, I've certainly found it you definitely find it to varying degrees in the runners that you treat um and and i'm um, yeah it's 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 a tricky balance but it's definitely about um like i said that past um that um good advice that someone might have got um and that sort of set them up with some good foundational knowledge and then it's definitely related to the group and people that you surround yourself with and and their way of thinking i think like some groups in the running world um like some groups in the running world um, will be probably more biased towards thinking about things in a diff in a certain way than other groups. Um, but probably the the best groups to have around you, I think, is um, a, a lot of people with diverse backgrounds and and have experienced like a lot of different things. Because I think then you've got this breadth of knowledge that you can sort of call upon, and you can go, well, yeah, so and so's you know, similar to me in terms of athletic profile and, and these attributes. Um, and when they did this, it seemed to help. Maybe I should try that. Or when they did this, it didn't work. So um, whereas, uh, yeah, so you're sort of just using that, that group um, and you've got like all these different people that are giving you advice, but um, 
yeah, I think that creates like, um, that really helps, you know, running IQ because um, you're, you're sort of on this journey of being reflective and also knowing that it's all right to be wrong. You, you're just all trying to find the right answer or an accurate answer for you. Um, and uh, yeah, everyone's sort of on the, on the right quest um, uh, to grow, I guess. Uh, I don't know, what do you think about sort of that concept? Yeah, I think obviously that's, um, particularly in regards to your group, that's great leadership on your behalf, I think, to create an environment like that. Um, I think, you know, it's a similar environment I try to create in my clinic room. You know, I want my clients to be able to talk to me about their concerns, particularly around the treatment um, and their problem moving forward. So to be able to have those conversations and to have them feel like they can challenge me as well. And it's not not not, not a threat. Um, and that's removing my ego from... The conversation like being okay with being challenged but then allowing those you know being able to have those conversations and i think that gets better outcomes moving forward i don't you don't ever want to be seen as an authoritarian or stuck in your ways you know and that was probably one of the things i struggled with from an athlete point of view when i was in the states like i couldn't question the authority of the coach which made no sense to me like I'd come from this background of having a coach that i could ask questions and if he said oh we're going to do this for training i'd say why you know, and you tell me why, and it would make the meaning, give meaning to the session, you know, give meaning to the training. Whereas, you know, I've shopped at the track um, when I was in college in the States and get told we're doing a session. I'd be like, well, why are we doing this session? Why, why aren't we doing this? And then to be yelled at and um, told that I shouldn't be questioning the coach, you know, it just made no sense. Um, and unfortunately that led to me losing my voice um you know i spent three years in that environment and then i went from this athlete that was quite rash and quite confident and you know was quite firm in what i thought was the right way to do things to then having no opinion at all really or feeling like i i'd lost my running iq i was confused i was like well you know i thought this was the right way to do it but for the last three years i've been told that it's not and then i'm running badly anyway so so um and i've had all this injury and sickness so what what is the right way um so that was interesting and, and that took me again a couple of years to find my voice again um but you know needs their own voice you know chris has got a great saying when he got um hamish to hamish carter to the olympics um in 2004 and ended up winning the gold medal hamish uh, chris said um you know when he got to the olympic venue his job is redundant um you know he's like well i'm just here to drink coffee now um, <laughs> <laughs> and you know i think about our relationship again going into doha and it was the exact same like you know i developed an iq that chris essentially left the decision making up to me in, in the last week and um i was the only athlete in doha and the new zealand team without my coach there i'm pretty sure um, and I ultimately made the decision leading into the race that I was going to run to feel rather than run to time. A lot of athletes were trying to figure out what pace they should run at and, um, based on the woman's race. And there was this document flying around the athletes about the percent differences of their PBs, um, and from the women's race compared to what they ran, um, on their night in Doha. And I think it was about an 8% difference or something. It was something quite significant. And I just remember thinking, well, why would I limit myself to a pace? Like this is a race. It's not 
a time trial. Um, so I'm going to go out and I'm going to race these guys. And um, so I said to Pallone about two days before the race, I said, oh, look, I'm just going to run to feel. I'll just, you know, I do this all the time. Why would I make it any, any different when it's the biggest event in my life? And, um, you know, I'm still quite proud of that because, you know, I look back at, you know, I'd gone from this young athlete that was quite confident in myself and my decision-making to then losing that for about four or five years and then gaining back it again um, to a point where I can make a decision like that, which ended up meaning that I performed really, really, really well on the night. And a lot of, you know, and I think that's one of the hardest times to make really sound decisions because it's, you're under significant pressure. So the emotions are really, really powerful in that moment. Um, so, you know, that's credit to Chris for getting in an environment like that again, for that to, fo you know, for that to grow and to foster, um, and shame on the guy that was coaching me in the States for, yeah. for, um, yeah. for making me lose that for a while. So, um, you know, I think the environment you're creating is, is so important. And, you know, even if your athletes move on to other coaches, when they get older, they'll forever hold you know, have gratitude for that. And, you know, but my junior coach, we still keep in close contact. But, you know, the principles he taught me um, were not just running principles, they were life principles. And, um, you know, I still, still hold strong to those now. So I think the influence you can have when you can create an environment where learning's part of the process and you're allowed to make mistakes and you're allowed to question things and you're allowed to um, speak up is really, really important. Yeah. Yeah, I actually, um, funny you raise that. I had a similar experience in my, one of my last rotations as a physio. Um, I was doing my neurophysio placement and my supervisor for that five-week block was oh, just, um, yeah, quite, um, I found her, like she didn't, if I did something wrong, she would sort of um, say, no, that's the wrong way and, and just didn't do it kind of in a nice way. Um, and whether that was me being a bit sensitive or her, the way that she conducted ourselves, but it was just sort of, I found it really hard and I, that just shut me down. Like I just, like, I didn't feel like I could say anything or, um, do anything wrong because I felt like it was counting against me and I ended up failing that placement because I just totally shut down. Like I just couldn't, I, did, I lost confidence. Um, and I didn't, didn't grow very much, uh, um, like, cause I, I didn't have, I feel like I had that confidence or environment or um safety to yeah really explore um yeah that placement um as well as i could have um and then i, I reset the placement um sat it with a different supervisor and passed it and and got through it um but it's just interesting that yeah that relationship with can feel safe and um uh foster good rapport with the person that you're working with um, and, and you're really um, honestly trying to get the best out of each other and you're not just not just pumping up each other's tires like you, you're sort of saying nah you could do that better or I, I disagree with that but you you take that honest opinion um, and you respect it because you know that that person ultimately is doing it in a loving way um, yeah, yeah like I, yeah. I, I reckon that's 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 what it's about and then from a like young coach um, with what with who I am, um, like over the last year or two, I feel like also trying to foster um, independence as well, and and just foster that um, like you're trying to create like you sort of um, alluded to, Kate, in your Doha experience where you were 
feeling really um, confident about like making decisions and you had such a good running IQ by that stage that you felt confident in yourself that you were making some really calculated decisions that worked for you. Um, and you got there through, you know, a lot of trial and tribulation and error or, and, and, or just like different experiences in, in, um, your running career with different coaches and, um, your time in, in the U S, um, and, and then time with Pallone and, and back in New Zealand. Um, and I think, um, I can, yeah, just, I just can concur with that, with my own running experience, with my time with Nikki Frey, one of my first junior coaches through high school like I still reflect on those days as being like so awesome like I had like you know a good 10 other of my best mates that I was just running with um throughout high school and uh uh yeah just learned a lot um but also just um uh, I think fundamentally learned the love of running um and really sort of bought into it and and really knew that I wanted to pursue this and then it's just been my experiences with other coaches since where um, I realized, oh, perhaps as a junior, I trained too hard all the time. Um, maybe I needed to slow down. I learned that with my next coach, um, Gregor, like at, through uni. And then my next coach after that taught me the idea of consistency and, and thinking about the whole week rather than just the day that you're running. Um, and, uh, yeah, a more conservative approach. Um, and if you don't get injured for two years, you know, you're probably going to PB. Um, so I learned some really valuable things from like all these different people, but it's the collation of all those experiences that really has, um, really does slowly over time develop your, your sense of, um, yeah, you've got like all these little things that all added together that you feel like you've got a better grasp of things. And, and not to say that you've got like, you're always learning and you, you feel like, um, like I've learned a lot the last year, the last two years, but it's, um, yeah, it's just a, I guess, a journey. Um, and it's, yeah, I guess, um, those experiences, but then also the idea of like, I feel like I'm a lot more of it. I can make the decisions not all the time, like, cause bias is always there, but like, I'm a, a lot more independent runner than I've ever have been. Um, uh, and I, if I take a step back and, um, and make sure I'm sort of thinking about it, you know, rationally. Mm. Yeah. yeah, that's great. Yeah. I reckon um, we've pretty much wrapped it up. Like, I, I yep. think we've talked about it pretty well. And I think it's a really cool concept, I reckon. And um, I don't know, I'd like people to sort of understand that that's sort of, that's the journey that all runners should go on and, and know that they're never really fully on top of it. And um, and it, it's a process of learning over time uh, and being open um to new things and, and different opinions and trying them out and see how they go. Um, and thinking critically about, um, the decisions, um, using history, science and, and your past experience and, and using others around you that, um, you feel like challenge you, um, and, uh, and are after accurate answers too. So like, I, I don't know if you got anything else to add, but I, um, like usual, just love, love chatting to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think you summarized that well, mate. Yeah. Um, but no, good knowledge sharing. Cool, mate. All right. Until next time. Um, thanks <laughs> for that. And uh, yeah, good luck with the training. Cheers, mate. You too. Yeah.